Hello, friends and folks, and welcome to Playlist, Scanline Media's podcast for talking about games and media that's been going on with us lately. I'm Six Detmar from Scanline Media. And I'm Jennifer Uncle from Scanline Media. And we're sitting here. It's it's August 21st now. Um, it just turned August 21st. That's not true. It happened hours and hours and hours ago. Um and we're here to talk about the hottest and latest and sickest media that's been eating up the charts. Get ready to blast this one into your face like a shotgun, because I want to talk about Remnant from the Ashes. Bam! Jen didn't expect it. <laughs> You're right. I, I've never even heard that name before, so this should be interesting. Okay. So Remnant from the Ashes came out on Tuesday. Um, it is a... PS4, Xbox One, and PC game. I believe it's $39.99 is what it launched at. And it is by uh, Chinese... Uh, I don't... I think they're like Gunfire Games as the studio, but it's published by Perfect World, who are a very big uh, Chinese company. And it is... What if a Souls game, but you also had guns huh is that also what code vein is maybe i haven't played code vein so um first thing i will say just like the, the first impressions from the game um i picked it up because uh, a friend of ours mia was was saying some very nice things about it and i was like okay i'm i'm curious enough i in theory like souls games and then very often am, am disappointed but sometimes i'm not uh and so i picked it up and the character creator Mm, very good. I, uh, you know how you know how rare it is to get good curly hair. Um, after we record this, I'll have to I'll have to pull up my game and tweet out a picture of my character because just amazing tiny little like tight ringlets. She looks adorable. Great, great character creator. Um, and then you're launched into the game itself, and like the setup and everything is kind of weird because it's like. You're going to go to a tower to save the world, probably, but you get waylaid and you're fighting, like, monsters called The Root, and they don't do a great job of explaining what's going on, and it doesn't feel like, like, you know, it feels like maybe they're going for a Souls thing where it's like, no, you'll, through item descriptions and stuff, you'll figure things out, but it just doesn't feel like the world building is that deep. Um, the combat, however... Um, so I picked the uh, Hunter class. You get your choice of, of three classes. So that means that I have a, uh, a two-handed sword on my back and then a rifle next to it on my back, a bolt-action rifle, I think. Might be a repeater. Might be a repeater. Um, and then I have a, a pistol. And ammo is pretty limited. You have, like, a stamina meter. But stamina isn't used by doing melee attacks. So the combat has this interesting flow where it's like you can be as aggressive as you want. So there's no cap on your on your aggressive action, except for, of course, ammo, which is hard to come by and opportunity. Because, you know, dodging and sprinting, those will use up, use up your stamina. But you can just swing your sword forever if you want. Huh. OK. I was going to say, does that uh, does that lead to situations that feel like, does the sword feel too overpowered, or do they compensate for that by making some of the attacks weaker? 
Well, they I I feel like they compensate for it. I mean, like I think that part of the reason they made the sword this powerful was to to contrast the fact that you have guns now, right? Like swords need to get an upgrade or else guns are just going to take over, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing they do is something I haven't seen a Souls game do before, which is there is zero merit to killing enemies. At least as far as I've gotten, they don't give you souls. They don't drop items. You just kill them and they're no longer trying to attack you. But like, it is not inherently a beneficial thing to kill a monster. Huh, that sounds almost survival horror-ish. Yeah, and so you're like, they they do a much better job of than I feel like a lot of Souls games of like, when you see enemies, you have to make this calculation of like, I mean, I could win this fight. Is it worth the cost? Like, do I have anything I want to get done around here? Like, if I'm if I'm exploring, then maybe I should wipe them out so I can explore more safely. Or if I'm like, oh, there's probably stuff in those buildings that those guys are, you know, in their own way guarding, then it can be worth taking them out. But just like, oh, I'm in a hall, like, not in a hallway. I haven't been in a lot of tight hallways or anything. But like, oh, I'm walking through like a, a field between buildings, like a little, like a wide street. And there are a couple of monsters. It's like, fuck it. I'm just going. There's no reason to fight you guys unless I can't, I can't avoid it. Um, and I think that's a, a really, really interesting choice. Huh. Yeah, that, that sounds neat. Um, have there been any times when you decided that you didn't need to fight someone and it kind of blew back on you? Yeah. Um, I, uh, well, mostly just because I wasn't fast enough. I encountered a new enemy that was, like, clearly supposed to be, like, the big threatening enemy. Like, I was doing my exploring over, like, a series of, of skyscrapers that were sort of, like, crumbled down, because it has a very, like, kind of sort of post-apocalyptic. The visuals are nothing that are going to blow your mind, right? They're fine, but the art style is not that inspired. Um, and I was I was sort of going from, like, crumbled skyscraper to others by, by means of, like, plankwood bridges. Um, and down in, in the, like, plaza between the buildings, I could see that there were some other zombies milling around, and also there was one of them that I couldn't see that was making a lot of noise. And I was like, okay, clearly that's, you know, my indicator that this one's real bad, and I don't want to fuck with him. Um, and then I started fight. I, like, I, I was, I was like, okay, I won't even, you know, I won't even take any of these enemies out. I'll just keep going. Which led to a point where I had to fire several shots from my rifle in short succession, which got the attention of the of the big guy. If I'd like taken them one by one with my sword, it would have been no problem. But you know, the the several loud bangs with the rifle, big boy comes to investigate, and he fast. <laughs> he very fast. I tried to jump off a building, and he was like, "Here, let me help you with that." And just punched me clear across the fucking thing, and I fell like five stories and was done. <laughs> and that was my first death. Um, Damn. I was like, okay, that's fair. I get that. Um, it does like the uh, the sort of Dark Souls 2-E thing, um, 2 or 3, I don't remember, um, where you have like, you have consumable items you can find that let you heal like very slowly over time. And then you have like you basically your Estes equivalent, which is the Dragon Heart in this, which is like, oh, you've got three charges and when you rest at, you know, your checkpoints, you get them back. Um, so you've got different healing options there. Um, it also has multiplayer, which I'm, you know, I'm curious to explore. It seems like as opposed to, you know, the, the from software games, there's an emphasis on like, go ahead, invite your friends, do some co-op. Um, 
which sounds nice. You know, From always wants to like, you know, like, oh, you're just, you never know who you can trust. You call in a phantom to aid you, but perhaps it is treacherous. He's like, no, just get your bros in here. Who cares? Um, I, I appreciate that it's not pretending to be deep in ways that it's not. Yeah, I took a quick look at the cover after you mentioned it, and it looked like they had several people grouped together in a way that suggested something of a camaraderie that doesn't exist within Soul Game so much. Yeah, and also, actually, now that I think about it, um, you when you pick up your three classes at the start, um, they give you an ability that inherently would work with other people. So I guess I guess there's also some, like... like co-opability style stuff like as as a hunter i've got the ability to like mark an enemy and then it takes increased damage and i believe that would also work for my teammates and then like there's somebody who has like you know a healing or whatever i don't know you know stuff that's pretty neat yeah so i've been i've been very pleasantly surprised by it so far i'm still very early goings and i will yeah i i do want to say uh the visuals are not like, I'm not saying it looks bad, but, like, you know, y- you you play stuff like, like Dark Souls, like Bloodborne, like Sekiro, and you get used to this, like, you're like, oh, this genre, one of the things that's great about this genre is the striking visual design. Nah, bud. <laughs> like, they're fine, but, like, this is not gonna, this is not gonna make your socks roll up and down, so. Oh, what have you been, what have you been investigating lately, Jen? So, the main thing, aside from uh, finishing up Fire Emblem that's taken up a lot of my time, has been Anodyne 2, which came out uh, a week or two ago. It's the sequel to Anodyne, which was a cult classic of sorts that blended Zelda-type dungeon crawling with uh, a weird uh, metatextual story and... Mechanics that more or less encouraged you to go out of the boundaries of the game and try different things. This one, ins- this one is only made by two people, yet it has a scope that I have never seen at a project this size. Like, um, they're doing this thing where instead of just replicating the SNES look and uh, in in terms of the top down. Um, RPG situation. It's um, for the most part the the visuals that you're looking at for most of the game are Sega Saturn slash PS1 era 3D models, and that's mm. not something you see very often, especially in the especially today in the indie scene. Like it's it, it's something that they're slowly working up to. I feel like in terms of uh, games that get put out, but. Uh, it's nice to see something go for that aesthetic so wholly and uh, nail it pretty well. Um, the one kind of weird thing is all the text is much higher resolution than the visuals themselves. So that kind of stands out in a weird way. But aside from that, the effect works rather well. That's a weird choice. Um, is there like, I don't know, is is there something they're trying to achieve with that i don't i don't know how to ask that question but i think you know what i'm trying to to get at is there some sort of effect you feel like they're going for with the text or not so much like uh there are some moments where 
like the very beginning of the game is you your character more or less getting born um <laughs> okay <laughs> basically emerging from an egg of sorts if i recall um you're this um you're this girl with a hat and a pretty simple outfit and uh you have two mothers who are basically taking care of you and during their introduction phase, you see text that looks completely different from the rest of the game, where it's more or less scribbled as if your character is making first impressions out of each of the characters. And uh, hmm. aside from that, it doesn't really seem like they're trying to make any sort of differentiation with the text, other than the fact that when you are in someone else's head, which is when it goes back into Zelda-style graphics and... Uh, dungeon crawling it uh it switches over to a more traditional looking uh pixelated text look hmm all right fair enough uh how does it play so part of it uh, part of it is still maintaining that uh zelda that zelda progression of uh going into someone's you, you basically jump into someone's mind and in their mind is a is a link to the past style dungeon and uh from there you collect keys you scoop up enemies with your vacuum cleaner and shoot them out in order to collect their dust or unlock doors it, it's basically very simple platformy sort of problem solving until you get to the dust at the center and uh, more or less clean the person by getting rid of that dust. But mm -hmm. the interactions you're having when you're getting to the point where you can jump into someone's head, it's pretty surreal because you're wandering around these gigantic areas. And I, again, this game is made by two people, yet some of these spaces... I think Daniel Riendo compared it almost to Breath of the Wild in terms of scale. And I, th I think it's a bit smaller and c more constrained than that, but it's still massive for that sort of scope of just literally huh. two people making it. And it it's almost something more like an adventure game where you're solving... You're trying to figure out how to get to these people in order to jump in their heads. <laughs> like, uh, there's one situation where... You have to go around... You, you basically go into this uh, wooded swamp area, and if you swim around for a bit, you can find a hole that your vacuum cleaner reacts to. Once you go down that hole, you find a fan club for people who make... for this artist who makes trees, and this fan club is formed around this person trying to get his attention since the person's a recluse. But in the meantime, they've started making art of their own, comparing it to each other, trying to more or less match this amazing tree maker. And it's at this point where things take a turn for the real in a bizarrely almost uncomfortable fashion, but uncomfortable in the good way. Like, uh, one of the conversations you have with the person is like, well, I joined this group and, uh, they're so much better at me at this hobby that I've lost all the motivation to improve myself. And then you run to run into another person who's like, yeah, I joined this group, but I'm too scared to do anything right now. So I'm just watching 
I I'm waiting to get to the end of this 80-part video tutorial series on how to create trees. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh... Hmm. Yeah, it's one of those situations where it uses this somewhat goofy presentation where one moment you're meeting this person who basically the dust has corrupted them, so their entire body has been turned in into essentially all of their skin is basically tongue texture now, and when you're inside their brain, they're kind of, they're when you talk to the people inside their brain, they're constantly like. Hey, can I look you for a second? Can I look you? You look real tasty. Can I just look you one second? And it moves from that to a different person whose interactions in their head is you find you finding gravestones throughout their mind, and it's through those gravestones you find out that the person you're inside used to be a mayor of a town, and his obsession with digging a tower to remove the the more or less weeds that were in their town reached such, reached such heights that he more or less destroyed the whole town and the people inside it. And he, he more or less buried all those thoughts inside of him so that he could uh, escape it more or less. And when you finally come to that realization, instead of there being some sort of nice moment of closure where he reflects on what he did... He just goes right. He just goes right back to digging after having that mystery solved for him. Hmm. So, I mean, what does this all cohere to? It seems like a lot of a lot of very like bold pieces. What do they come together as? It's hard to say just yet because I reached a point, uh, which seems like a halfway turning point where. Very small spoilers, the things that you're doing may not be what you think they're doing, or at least your place within the world, more or less, as a cleaner. But uh, it, it's one of those situations where it hits this tone that's both goofy and maudlin, in terms of uh, you're helping a lot of people deal with some of the... Basically, you're dealing, you're helping them deal with some of the anger and hatred they've uh, built up inside of them because of this dust that's been surrounding the town and making them sick. You're, you're doing what you can to make their lives a little bit better. And at the same time, it's an act that seems to be hurting you significantly. Like, the first few times you do it, you're practically collapsing, and uh, one of your two mother figures, more or less it's almost always Palisade out of the two that's coming to check on you. Um, it's a situation where you're constantly having to be brought back to your normal self. And since this is, you were basically born and then this is the only thing you've done with your life so far. Like, the game starts almost immediately with you being born and going, okay, now you're a cleaner. Now you have to do this. And it gets into it gets into notions of lost childhood and what that means when we're given tasks that are, are basically forced to grow up a little too fast by taking on responsibilities that we're not really emotionally prepared for. Hmm. 
and ultimately, I think they're trying to paint a world that's both uh, wacky in terms of its weirdness and also... I'd say it's almost like Undertale in that respect, because Undertale's thing is it's a very goofy RPG until it's not, and the goofiness helps you connect with the characters and makes the the tougher aspects of that story easier to swallow. Hmm. Okay. Okay, so, you know, too early to say if it's going to all come together, but it certainly seems like they've got something in mind, at least. Mm-hmm. And uh, the... It's really satisfying to play. Like, they take full advantage of the fact that uh, platformers from that era were kind of janky to begin with. So, there's a character <laughs> near the beginning who's standing near a wall, and he's like, Oh, yeah, if you turns out if you just keep jumping on the side of this building, no platforms or anything, you'll just end up climbing it because that's how geometry works here. Hmm. It's a game that more or less embraces some of the rougher edges from an earlier period of 3D without feeling too nostalgic and wink-wink about it, which is nice. That's good, at least. Yeah, it's, it's you know, it's it's a tricky... Playing with nostalgia, especially for, like, that era of, like, like the PlayStation and the Sega Saturn, you know, it's it's been said before, but it's a tricky era to play with because a lot of those games just look like shit. <laughs> um, and trying to find a way to like call back to that, like in a way that evokes the right feelings but doesn't look bad, is a, is a is a challenge. I think. Yeah, I I think it helps that they really play into the surreal aspect of the world by, like, there's there's one part early on where you're visiting the shopping market and the shelves are textured in a way that looks like they just slapped either photos or pictures made to look very similar to photos on these surfaces and right next to them is this tall dolphin wearing socks who is uh talking about how he's using echolocation to find candy and it's one of those situations where by mixing what looks like real world photos and objects from reality that are a little bit a little bit bigger than they should be in real life it adds this sense of patchworkiness without feeling totally broken or bad looking cool cool well from one game with a small couple person crew to another uh i have been playing rebel gal i always want to say rogue galaxy because of the fucking (laughs) ps2 game which is on my shelf i have that one but uh rebel galaxy outlaw uh by double damage games um it's a two-person studio but i believe they had some parts of it were um fucking you know they 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 contracted out some pieces i think at least the music um so rebel galaxy outlaw is a uh prequel of rebel galaxy Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, double damage is up to five people now. Wow. Exploding <laughs> out of their britches. Um, they were two people for the original Rebel Galaxy. Um, I came to the interesting re- realization with Rebel Galaxy because it's like I've enjoyed these games before, right? These like space combat and trading games, right? Yeah. It, um, kind of like Privateer and all that. Yeah. And I realized uh, that I'm 
actually kind of a genre expert in a way I guess I didn't expect. Um, cause I was like, I was playing it and I was like, oh, this reminds me of this and this reminds me of this. And I like, I heard some other people like talking about the game and I was like, oh, that's not actually new. Uh, you know, like this game did that. And it's like, oh, I actually know this genre actually pretty well. Um, because I did play some Wing Commander Privateer, not very much, unfortunately, because even the GOG version, I could never get to run right. I had a lot of issues trying to get the game to run on even semi-modern computers. Um, but I played, uh, you know, Descent Free Space and Free Space 2. I played uh, Freelancer. I played, you know, X-Wing versus TIE Fighter and also X-Wing and TIE Fighter. Um, I played a lot of these these classic um, games and I was I was set to really, really love Rebel Galaxy Outlaw. And it's not necessarily that I don't, but I disagree with a lot of the choices the game has made, and it has been limited in ways that I think are unfortunate. Huh, okay. Yeah, when we were talking about this game earlier, it sounded like you were having a bit of a better time with it. But I, I guess spending more time with it is one of the situations where you start to notice the cracks and uh, things that could be better. Yeah. I think it's just that it's shallow to be honest. Um, Like I think what's there is good. It's just, it's, it's only, it's only surface deep. Um, And a lot of that comes down to the flying, right? Um, There, well, first off, there are a number of, this game is built to be played uh, first person, which the original Rebel Galaxy was meant to be played third person, and the combat was kind of like the um, Assassin's Creed ship combat, where you had, like, broadsides and stuff. Um, this is more like our traditional space combat sim, where, you, where it's made to be played in cockpit. You've got some great, like... The, the in-cockpit work is all fantastic, where, like, you'll... Um, You'll go ahead and like like kick on your your sublight engines and your your playable character Juno. You'll see first person like her hand reach up and flip a couple of switch and like slap this thing over here and it'll kick into drive. Or like um, you'll be flying and you'll, you'll hear the missile lock sound and then the missile will hit you in the back and the whole ship will shake and Juno will like throw up her hands to brace herself and when you take a bunch of damage and the hull starts to breach, the windshield will start to crack. It all looks really good. Um. And not like in a, a pushing pixels way, though it's pretty in that way, but mostly just in a like like a love and attention to like the the feel of it. Um, the problem becomes that the combat itself is really simple in a way that is almost it, it's I would say it's unfortunate. Um, and there are a couple of ways in which I think that's the case. Uh, one is an innovation of theirs that ends up inadvertently making the game shallower. Um, they have the pursuit button. They're like, what if you could left trigger, right trigger in a space combat game? So when you hold down left trigger, whatever you have, whatever you're locked onto, whatever enemy you've, you've selected on your targeting computer, uh, it will automatically pursue them. So like if they fly behind you, it will automatically turn towards them and try and get them in your crosshairs. Um, and this, like, I think if it were a little less generous, that could be really good as is it makes a lot of fights really brainless and that you just hold down the left trigger. And then when they're in front of you, you hit right trigger. You don't need like you, I, I have had fights where I didn't use the joysticks. I was just like, no left trigger. Oh, there they are. Right trigger. Next person, left trigger. There they are. Right trigger. 
and I'm playing on not the like there's sort of like ca- the difficulties are like casual veteran uh sim and old school I think mm-hmm. and I'm playing on veteran I'm pl- and they were they're like they're like casual is like this is the way we expect you to play and then veteran is like if you want a slightly tougher experience and I was like I want a slightly tougher experience it's not tough in the combat that's not the that's not the thing that makes it tough um so I feel like that that like pursuit mechanic is is too generous and then it exposes the fact that there's nothing else in the combat really to make up for it right like I I love descent free space I love uh freelancer and those are games where there's a lot of like targeting of subsystems right that's a classic like space combat thing where like oh shit this and like this ship uh, like this would this would happen a lot against like like in, in free space I feel like especially it's like there's this big battleship and we've got to take it down and like listen you can't do that you're a fighter but if you can take out their engines that'll give our bombers time to do their work right or like oh can you take out their their anti-air so that we can do some strafing runs or whatever um and there are parts on the enemy ships but you can't target subsystems it's just sort of like there's a front a back and a wing and like depending on where you shoot them something turns red it doesn't seem to affect their performance in any way it's just eventually if you hit us any particular given point enough they'll explode huh and it's just like so you don't have a lot of means of it, it feels kind of silly to say but you don't have a lot of means of interacting with other ships in combat um so the combat just feels really simple it's like you do that pursuit mechanic you shoot them until they explode and that you just do that with everyone um there's no like hacking, which is not you know that's hardly a, a staple of the genre, but it could have been a way they spice things up. There's no like, yeah, trying to disable subsystems. There's no much of anything except for just shooting, um, which makes it feel more like a first-person shooter in a way that is is kind of disappointing to me. Yeah, I don't have as much experience with th- this genre as you do. Um... But I have played some of the same games you have, and even in some of the more simplistic ones I went with, there were situations where they were like, okay, you need to take out the shield generator first before you can do any real damage to this thing. And mm-hmm. it does sound like the pursuit function is slightly similar to something Ace Combat does, or certain arcade-style um, dogfighters like Ace Combat, where... You have to hold down a button and then you go into a chase mode of sorts. But the thing is, with those chase modes that I played in the past, it was still a situation where you had to more or less rodeo the other aircraft and uh, do your damnedest to stay on their back. And Yeah, it, that, that mechanic specifically was an Ace Combat Assault Horizon and was not very well received. Um, and also it was like they switched to a different mode because it was like you went into the pursuit mode and then you were using your machine gun and it was like, okay, now this is like, can you aim your shots? Like your guns, if someone's within your crosshair, your guns will automatically sort of like aim to like lead the target. So like you literally don't have to do any aiming yourself. Oh, damn. Do you know if that... Do you know if any of the harder difficulty options you have at your disposal would add more complexity? 
I believe if you set it to old school, um, it changes the pursuit mechanic in some way, but it also changes a bunch of other stuff where it's like, so there are ways in which this game can be kind of obnoxiously hard. Um, and I feel like those would be frustrated because like, there's, there's a concept, like, I feel like partially because the combat is so simple, is so straightforward. Um, there actually isn't very much room for skill. Um, and so if a fight is beyond you, it's just beyond you, right? Like if you get into a fight and you're like, oh, I'm not ready for this. You can't finesse it by flying smarter or more skillfully. You're just fucked. Um, and so like, if you get a mission and the missions ratings, like, like I've jumped into systems where I know the missions are randomly generated, but they're generated based on the system you're in. And it's like, okay, here I am, and I'm in this new system, and I go to a mission board, and they're like, okay, every mission here is rated as hard. And it's like, okay, I guess I can't do any of them. And so I jump to another system. It's like, every mission here is rated as hard or extreme. And I do that four or five times before getting to a system where any of the missions are even doable for me. Jeez. Um, it feels like they need to make some changes on that front, but also it's just like, I wonder if... I don't know. Like I almost would. Mm, I don't have a good. An- I don't have a good answer for the for the problem. It's a hard problem to solve for sure. What I know is it's really frustrating to have these fights where like I'll I'll try a fight three or four times and it's like, no, I think this just isn't doable for me because, uh, I d- like, my fighter that I'm flying, I have like a tier two like like, design for combat fighter. And it's like tier two of four tiers because there aren't that many ships in the game. Um, and tier four you only unlock by doing a bunch of story missions. Um, and it's just like, oh no, like I get in this fight and instantly my shields are overwhelmed. Like I get in the fight and within three or four seconds my computer goes, shields down, hull breach. And I'm like, okay, then I can't possibly win this fight. It just can't be done. And they let you get into those situations anyway without uh, signposting you too much aside from the mission difficulty? Well, and it depends on the mission. Like, so sometimes it's like, okay, I I got into a mission that said it was hard. And like, yeah, no, you're right. This is hard. I can't do this. But also, I have one mission that I have had on my list that's been listed as average difficulty this whole time. I've done every other average difficulty mission I came across. This one, as soon as I jump within the, like, jump to the area where it's set, I'm instantly blown out of the sky. Huh. Um, so I think it's just, like, maybe it's just not, you know, that's that's the kind of thing I'm sure they'll fix, it, fix in a patch. It's like when you're random, randomly generating missions, I'm sure there's, you know, room to accidentally randomly generate a mission that's, that's calibrated wrong or something. I get it. Um... And it's not so much that, it's more the fact that it exposes that in this combat, the skill skill floor is pretty high, but the skill ceiling is really low. So that there's not much difference between a player who is just picking the game up and a, a player who's played a whole ton of the game. Your options are pretty much identical. That's a shame, especially if... You'd think that as mission difficulties would ramp up, they would give you more to do but it doesn't sound like that's the case mm-hmm. yeah um and the other disappointing thing i guess is that so then i was like okay i'll just sort of mainline the story um because the story like uh you're you're the so in rebel galaxy your character is like looking for your aunt 
um because she used to be she used to be fucking hardcore man and she's she's gonna help you get back on your feet and and learn you how to do some space um and this is a prequel and you're playing as the cool aunt and she's cool as hell she's great um the voice acting for her is really good all the all the stuff where she's animated is all really compelling um so far her story is mostly she she wants revenge on somebody for killing her husband and uh i i do really like her tone with that stuff right which is she's like she's like i'm gonna get this guy because he got my husband but mostly it's just like ah shit i thought i was done being a well whatever guess i'll get in the ship and blow people up she feels really like tired in a way that i i enjoy a lot um but so far the story has mostly just been like oh this person it's like it's okay not in the writing but structurally it's extremely red dead redemption right oh okay where you're like this person might have a lead and you go to them and they're like yeah i might know something but first how about you help me steal some codes from my brother? And you're like, okay, fine. And they're like, okay, well, I don't know much. You should go talk to Big Jeffrey in System Missouri. And you fly over to System Missouri, and Big Jeffrey's like, well, I might be able to help you. You should help me get this bounty. And you capture the bounty, and he's like, I'll see what I can do for you. But in the meantime, you talk to George Stephanopoulos over in... <laughs> and you're like, what are we doing? Ah. <laughs> uh. Um, and yeah, also, um, the way the difficulty on those missions is you have to do stuff in between because the jumps in difficulty, it's like you're at least on veteran. Maybe if, I mean, I, I believe from what I've read, the only difference between veteran and casual is the gear you start with. After that point, they're identical difficulty wise. So given the gear I have, it actually doesn't matter that I'm on veteran. And so even on casual, you'd be running into the problem I have, which is like, oh, I do a story mission and I go to the next story mission and I'm undergeared for it. And I need to go grind regular missions to get the gear. And that just happens over and over. Um, and the combat isn't that good. And I, yeah, the main thing that's keeping me going through the game off and on is the custom soundtrack stuff, which is so good. <laughs> um, it's the same they had in Rebel Galaxy, but if you're not familiar, it's not just like, you know, you, you play like, I don't know, you play Burnout Paradise and you're like, oh, I, I've got Spotify integration. I can make the soundtrack be my Spotify playlist. That's not how it works in Rebel Galaxy. In Rebel Galaxy, on the launcher, it's like, do you want to do custom soundtrack? And you're like, yes. And it's like, okay, indicate different folders. Give me a folder to use for ambient music. Give me a folder to use for idle music. Give me one for playing on the station. Give me one for playing on the main menu. Um, there's a video that I'm trying to figure out. Every time I try and convert it, it fucking acts really weird. But the main menu is Juno sitting in a bar looking really grumpy and like sipping at a bottle of beer. Um, and I haven't edited this video in any way. I just I just recorded my opening, which is like you get a little bit of the loading screen, and then it kicks to Juno sitting at the bar, glaring off into space, sipping out a beer, while the like while in the background you have the the Pokemon Sun and Moon Japanese intro playing, where where Satoshi explains that he's going to become a Pokemon master. <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> I have I have so many great stories like that. I have like I. Uh, 
I got in a fight and I, I won and some great music was playing. We don't need to talk about that. And then um, afterwards, I realized that I'd been fighting uh, pirates and a couple of the pilots had ejected and they were just floating through space and I could tractor beam them up and I turned to face one, but combat was over. So it switched over to ambient music and the like the sad like Amuro song from <laughs> 0079 started playing as I as this man drifted through space in a spacesuit. And I was like, this is incredible. Um, but. The depth of the game just isn't isn't there, or at least I I can't seem to find it. Um, so I don't know if I'm gonna make it all the way through. I'm trying to figure out what what the if there's a hook that I'm missing. Mm-hmm. It, it sounds like you're spending a lot of your time with the game making your own fun through uh, surreptitious uh, songs coming on from your soundtrack folder during cool moments. Yeah, there, the other thing I will say is good is there's like a sort of not like a negotiation system exactly, but like you can have various like if you target someone, you can press a comms button and then you have a couple of options. And so like when I was first starting out and I got jumped by pirates and I was a nobody, I was like, like pirates jumped me and they were like, all right, like your your money or your life. And I like pull up the comms and I hit the option of like, hey, can we just not? And they're like, listen, all right, you're fine. You've done right by, like, we don't have any real beef with you. We'll let you go this one time. Get out of here. And I was like, okay, great. Um, and these days when they jump me, sometimes they don't, they don't go for this. But a lot of the time I, I, I hit the option that is in red text and Juno in first person flips them off and says, you want some, you're going to fucking get it. And they're like, oh shit, wait, it's you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and that's very good. It de- it definitely seems like something I'd like to check out when it's a little bit less expensive, but uh, yeah, hopefully whenever they make a Rebel Galaxy 3, they figure out how to add a bit more depth to the combat. The thing I'm worried about is, is it might just be a thing about the studio size, it might just not happen, but the game does have pretty good mod support, um, and the space combat community loves modding, so... It seems entirely possible that we're going to get, you know, like that modders will fill the holes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I could I could totally see, like, I don't know, maybe adding stuff into the combat system would be difficult. I I don't know how the, how the game's built. I don't know how the modding works. But, like, certainly adding new ships and more of a progression seems doable. Adding new missions and, you know, new story could be done. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I would love a reason to play more of this game. Right now, I will probably play a little more of this game, but it's it's definitely wearing thin for me. Yeah. Well, this Rebel Galaxy Outlaw. I'll say it again at the end there. Also in the show notes, show notes. I'm I'm pointing. I, I for some reason here in my room alone, I am pointing downward as though there are show notes below me, and also as though anyone can see me. But you know, <laughs> you, I'll list we'll list the games we talked about. What else have you been up to, Jen? So, aside from Andine 2, I've also been playing a bit of Dicey Dungeons, which uh, I'm not super far into, but I finally got to the point where I unlocked uh, most of the characters. There's a sixth character that's hidden right now, but I assume it's gonna... I assume there's some way to unlock him in the game. 
It's uh, the latest game by Terry Kavana, who also worked on VVV, VVV, and um, Super Hexagon. Games like that with uh, pretty good mechanics. And this one's interesting because it's a turn-based roguelike played entirely with dice. So the way that it works is on each character's turn, either your turn or the enemy's turn, there's a series of three to four dice that get rolled. And depending on what you land for those dice, you can slot them into attack or ability spells that are in your inventory. So if I roll, say, a six, I can put that six into a um, into one of my attack slots. And if that slot also says something like, if you roll six, you'll also do extra electricity damage, then that'll happen. And initially, it starts off pretty basic. Like, the, the warrior dice is... Um, just basically attacks and things that you can do to boost those attacks. Thief is pretty similar. The only key difference is that uh, you have an ability where you can roll a bunch of ones at once, which in this game can be useful at times because there's abilities that you can only activate with a pair of snake eyes or just one die. Hmm. And uh, from there, the classes start to get pretty unique and interesting like um even though they're listed as higher difficulty for some reason i had a well the one immediately after that the robot is really fucked because instead of rolling dice typically you have a you have a meter and you click a button and that will both roll a singular die and also increase the meter by that uh by whatever you rolled on that die. And you can click, you can keep clicking that, but if it hits the top and overloads, if it goes past the top meter, all of your abilities disappear for that round. And huh. you're just fucked if you haven't been using your, your dice actively on your abilities. But also, if you happen to get it perfectly at the top, you overload and uh, you get to... I think it's called jackpot or something like that. You get to either do five damage to the enemy, um, regain some health on your end, that kind of thing. It, it's basically a little bit of a payday for taking the risk. Huh. So it feels like like one of the essentials is, must be like the fact that it's not just like roll high. It's like the various rolls can be good for different things, right? Yeah, totally. Um, basically... What rolls are good and which rolls aren't are more or less dependent on the abilities that you have, which uh, I think each class gets their set abilities, and then as you level up and open chests and things like that, you get other um, options that you can either slot into your inventory or put in your backpack. It has something like a Resident Evil 4-style inventory where you have to... Uh, I mean, certain attacks take up more room than others, or certain abilities at the same time, so you can kind of squeeze things into your inventory in order to uh, organize it. And uh, that's actually pretty necessary for the next character, the Inventor, which is an absolutely buck-wild character. 
their whole thing is that they start off with a they start off with an ability that can be activated once per turn to the side without any cost in terms of dice. The thing is, as soon as you finish, as soon as you win that particular fight against an enemy, they're an inventor, so their whole thing is like, well, I'm done with this invention, and I have to make a new one <laughs> at the spot. <laughs> that sounds fun. Yeah, so basically what happens then is, as soon as you finish a fight, you have to choose one of the items in your inventory to destroy and turn into the next invention. That's that's a good mechanic. I like that. Yeah. It, it, it's definitely the character that I've had the most fun with so far, just because there's this nice strategic element of, oh, th- which which ability can I sacrifice at the moment? Like, I don't want to sacrifice this one too much, but if I sacrifice this other one, it would hurt me a whole lot more. So let's go with this one. And you're constantly... Especially with that character, you're constantly pick up, picking up new things for your backpack left and right. So you're constantly evolving in terms of what kind of fighter you are with that character. And that's pretty awesome. And uh, the last one that you get uh, near the beginning anyway is a witch. And her whole thing is you have a spell book. And the only way you can cast those spells is by rolling the... Uh, by having a die that matches what these spells assigned to in your spellbook. So if you have a uh, fire spell on a four, then you have to roll a four on your on one of your dice first and then sacrifice that die to put that ability in your spellbook. Hmm. So this is this is at this point this is probably a dumb question, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh it's it's a D six, right? Yeah. There are no other dice. No, no other dice. No D twenties. No D D eights in here. No D fours. Nope, they're all D six. So, it, it, what if there was a hard mode where it was? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that that'd be interesting. Um, I I think they might have to do something slightly different with the visuals because all the characters are represented by individual die themselves. Like, uh, they're just given various different colors. Uh. And uh, little attributes, like the warrior has a little scar near his eye, the mechanic has these cute freckles and glasses, and the witch has a witchy hat, that kind of thing. Hmm. I I will say the act of exploring the dungeon itself is uh, very streamlined to the point where you're not really exploring so much as you're moving from event to event. Like, you're... It's presented in this game show style... um, setup where the uh host slash villain probably lady luck um she has how dare you call lady luck is not a villain (laughs) yeah basically the way that the levels work is that each episode and uh each episode is like a floor it's like a set of six to seven floors and Within those floors are a series of uh, circles connected by lines, and there's no real cost to moving between each one. You're just moving to the whichever one is free up next. So you're moving over to chests, you move over to X many fights and uh, blacksmiths to make your stuff a bit better, maybe a shop, and then you go up to the next floor. 
it's something that it's something that would work remarkably well on phones i think like uh it it's it's an interface that feels that feels pretty natural in terms of uh if you were to point and click i mean if you were just to tap on the screen instead of uh pointing and clicking and uh the dice themselves roll themselves when you uh start your turn or click a button and then it's a matter of dragging dragging and dropping them so i feel like that works super well on a touch interface hmm. it's one of those things where the presentation and speed of it can be kind of slight at times but the mechanics themselves of fighting with these characters and uh figuring out what your enemies are doing. Like, the various status effects they can cast on you are pretty neat. Like, uh, one of them, freezing, essentially resets all your... resets a, a set amount of your dice to just the one. And uh, there's things where they can temporarily weaken some of your attacks or make them unavailable unless you sacrifice two dice to more or less bring that attack back. They can weaken them. There, there's all sorts of interesting status effects that you can do to the CPU and they can do to you. Hmm. Definitely seems like, I don't know, the, it's it's a tricky game to pitch, I think. Because every, every time I've read stuff about it, and even now, I like I know you and I, I believe you when you say that this game is good and compelling. But it very much seems like the kind of like the game where the pitch isn't inherently that amazing. And you have to have good game design behind it. And, you know. Terry Kavanaugh kind of knows what he's doing. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> like uh, Terry Kavanaugh has, uh, he's made a number of uh, pretty significant hits. Like, I, I, I don't know if this will ever hit the same degree that uh, Super Hexagon did because that was something of a phenomenon. But uh, yeah, he's he's been making games for an incredibly long time. A lot of them haven't been commercial. A lot of them have been freeware, little experiments here and there. And I feel like that history of him more or less constantly making things either as prototypes or ideas that he's presenting makes something like this incredibly streamlined and uh, beginner-friendly, even if uh, the game itself can be incredibly hard, depending on who you're playing as and... Uh, how good your roles are. Hmm. I should also mention that the soundtrack is done by Chipsell, who also did the Super Hexagon soundtrack, and it's this lovely mix of uh, show tune style synths, because it's a game show thing, and there's also a saxophone thrown in there, and some crowd cheers every now and then. And wow. There's something about the mix of saxophone and uh, chiptune, that works super well. Chipsophone. No, there's nothing there. <laughs> I tried. And uh, apologies in advance if I if chiptune isn't the right term for that. I, f I feel like sometimes musicians get kind of for for a good reason get kind of frustrated when broad uh, genre terms are applied to certain music. But Bitcoin. <laughs> but there we go. <laughs> Indeed, I, I do. Th I do think though that since her name is Chipsell and Super Hexagon was 
called chiptune music that calling this chiptune music or at least some sort of amalgamation of chiptune music and more traditional instruments is a fair game for for those of us outside trying to figure out what we're supposed to use as far as uh as far as guessing the right music terminology is like a roll of the dice. <laughs> it's it's those bleep bloops. Just just go up to an artist and say, "I really like your bleep bloops," and they'll probably not be super ha- super happy. You produce enjoyable noises. <laughs> <laughs> I like it when you press the button and it goes. Wins the drop. <laughs> <laughs> Uh. Yeah, uh, both Anodyne 2 and Dicey Dungeons are relatively inexpensive, like each one's around 15 to $20, and both of them are available on either Itch or Steam, so you can get your DRM-free gaming on and all that. Sick. Alright. Well, that sounds good to me. Uh, you know have another one but it's it's been just about an hour i think i think we can save it for next time because people don't want me to talk about girls frontline just yet (laughs) we gotta hold that one that conversation um so uh until next time uh this is this is our plug zone uh this is a scanline talks podcast we get to plug things uh so jen why don't you go first okay you can find me on twitter at jbu3 you can find uh, most of my writing slash uh, podcasts and other content either on scanlinemedia.com or patreon.com slash scanlinemedia. And I also host a vision novel slash adventure game podcast with uh, Six and M from Abnormal Mapping called Novel Not New. And that can be found at readinggames.online. All right, uh, and I'm Six Detmar. You can find me on Twitter at Six Detmar, S-I-X-D-E-T-T-M-A-R. And uh, otherwise, I'm on most of the same places that Jen is. Uh, you know, there we have we have our we have our different projects here and there, but for the most part, we are unified in Scanline Media. So check that out, and you'll you'll see both of us. Indeed. All right. Well, until next time, folks. Peace out. Have a good one. <laughs>